Welcome to episode 79 of The Real Photo Show. My guests today are Paul Kwiatkowski and Tom Griggs, and we talk about their new book, Ghost Guest. But before we get to that, this episode is sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub. All right, uh, Patrice Helmar's show, Dirty Old Town, came down from the JKC Gallery, and thank you to all who came out to that show. And of course, if you're a regular listener to this show, you know that Patrice runs the Marble Hill Camera Club. And Patrice is having a meeting tomorrow, Sunday, November 18th. Uh, there'll be two former guests of the show, Preston Resigno and Emil Askey, showing their work, along with four other artists. And again, you can find out more about that at marblehillcameraclub.com. So the next show at the JKC Gallery will be by Gary Saretsky, and it's a retrospective of his work from 1972 to the present. Uh, That will be on November 28th through January 10th with the reception and talk on December 5th. Uh, So I'll mention that again on the next episode. But you can find out more about that at mccc.edu forward slash JKC Gallery. Gary's a really interesting guy. He's been teaching photo history forever. And uh, he was at Mercer County Community College long before I was. You can check out more of his work and his lecture series and all the other things he does at the link that's on the site for the show at mccc.edu slash JKC Gallery. So my guests again today are Paul Kwiatkowski and Tom Griggs, and they collaborated on a book called Ghost Guest. And we are going to talk a lot about loss and grief in this conversation. We also have, you know, a bit of fun while we're talking as well. But I guess it's just a coincidence today we found out that my wife's grandmother passed away and she was, you know, elderly. She was in her 90s. So it's not a, a tragic loss. It's, it's still, you know, a sad loss for uh, the family. But it is going to be the first time that my kids have a firsthand experience with a death in the family. And that's something that I've always wondered, you know, whether or not I would bring them to the funeral, whether they would view the casket if the casket is open. Uh, All those questions that I'm sure a lot of you have dealt with if you have children and you've suffered a a loss in the family. Uh, I know with me, it wasn't handled very well when I was eight years old. Um, you know, I, I walked, I was walked through the funeral parlor and I don't think I was supposed to see my mother. Uh, but you know, they walked us by this giant kind of observation window where you could see, uh, the entire, um, wake happening, uh, with the open casket. And so it was kind of like this in between, you're not supposed to see this, but here it is. And then now go sit in the corner. So I'm hoping to do a little better than that. Uh, my wife and I are talking about it now. We do think, Uh, Both our kids uh, are old enough to be part of the wake and, uh, you know, to be in the actual room with everyone uh, to experience that sense of grieving uh, and to work through that process. And we will prepare them. We will, you know, talk to them about what they might see and what people might be talking about and and how people like to share funny stories as a way of relieving tension and stress and, and remembering that person fondly. So Tom, Paul, and I uh, talk about their book, Ghost Guest, which is about grieving and loss. Uh, It's a really interesting book that weaves together the stories of the two Malaysian airlines that went down with the personal losses that Tom experienced with his cousin Andrew, who was a pilot, and Paul's loss of his grandmother to HIV. And those are both really interesting stories as well. So Tom Griggs is a photographer based in Medellin, Colombia. Uh, he had a previous book called Herida y Fuente. He has a, a, quite a few selected exhibitions and honors listed on his website, tomgriggs.net. And he currently teaches photography in Colombia. And actually, this is why the text in the book, Ghost Guest, is printed both in English and in Spanish. Paul Kwiatkowski also published uh, before. Uh, you might know his book, And Every Day Was Overcast, which was released uh, in three editions. Uh, there was a paperback, a cloth-bound edition with an LP, and an iPad special edition that was also released with field recordings of music. Uh, this work was about his life in South Florida, filled with images of a kind of decaying suburbia and adolescence and all the kind of eccentricity of uh, living in Florida that we've come to expect, especially if you follow the news and stories and literature and art that comes out of Florida. Or if you happen to live there, like I did, uh, we actually talk about that uh, on the show. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. (laughs) 
before we start, just because with two guests, I like to um, give the audience a little heads up. Let's hear from Paul. Mic check, one, two, one, two. <laughs> that's Paul's that's voice. That's my Let's voice. Let's hear from Tom. How you doing, everyone? Yeah, that's different enough. <laughs> yeah. Although I feel like we look more and more alike. Now. <laughs> like our beard is oh, pretty much the same. You've you got the same yeah. sort of sandy, uh, blonde, blonde thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah you going. see me in a year with neck tats and right. much bigger muscles. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, I think, Paul, if you lived a little uh, fur- farther south like Tom does, you'd be a little darker, a little too. Tanner. More tan. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Tom, for uh, coming in all the way from Colombia, right? I actually, that was going to be my question. I, I remember you telling me you were, you were out of the country, and then uh, I saw some notes about you working in Colombia, and then I f- actually kind of forgot that Colombia is where you live. Yes, it is. Medellin. How, how did that happen? Uh, my wife is originally from there, and we met in the U.S. Uh, a long time ago, and we moved down there about eight years ago. Did you, when you went down there, was there work? Was there? Yeah, uh, we finished, uh, at least I finished grad school in 2009 and she finished in 2010. And that was right around the time of the uh, housing bubble and the Great Recession and getting jobs as educators in the same city, I think, in the U.S. was going to be hard. And there we were able to get jobs in the same university. So we went with the idea of staying a couple of years at least and seeing how it would go. And we've been happy and have stayed. And teaching or? Teaching, yeah. yeah. Do you teach photography? I teach photography in a fine arts department, and she's a, a professor as well in um, the same general area, the arts department, but she's a, a musician. Oh, okay. And so, Paul, you're, you're a little more difficult to find information about online. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Perfect. I found, I found a few articles about you. Uh, but uh, you you don't have like a, a real sort of central website anymore, or you've no, let it go. No, I, I had one, and then I ended up taking it. I didn't actually take it down. I just kind of let it expire. It's kind of strange because I feel like I've been working on this like one project for the last three years, and I felt so distant from the other work that I had created that when it came time to you know renew that website i kind of was just like eh, yeah what's the point i i rather just finish this and kind of start anew and i think also like collaborating with tom gave me such a like kind of different perspective on the kind of photography i wanted to create and the kind of narratives i wanted to write that i don't know i feel like once you have an opportunity to erase any kind of digital f- uh, mm. fingerprint you have on the web and do that next thing or that next project or whatever, start a new persona, whatever it is. It just seemed like, I don't know, you know, it was a seamless, it wasn't planned out, but it was something that happened. Do you feel the same way about a social, a social media presence too? Cause I, I, yeah, I didn't I mean, really I come across a lot. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I don't really <laughs> have much of a social media presence. I was like an early adopter to, uh, getting off of Facebook <laughs> and uh, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy about that actually. Right. Um, oh, that's true. I, you know, I've left Facebook twice and I'm back on, but, oh, no. but I only came back on for the podcast and then family complaints. Oh, I don't see any pictures yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah. That was the first thing they tried to get me with was like the family <laughs> complaining about it. But I was like, you know, you could just reach out to me directly and I'll send you a photo. And like my Twitter is just kind of a place for me to retweet weird articles, and that's pretty much it. It's just like an aggregate for news sources. So yeah. and I don't really promote like my photography on Instagram because I don't know. I feel like that's kind of something that even in this project, me and Tom kind of talked a little bit about was just how you know the use of an iPhone and using platforms like Instagram kind of smooths out all the aesthetics towards photography in general and not that I like feel the need to like differentiate my photography from other iPhone photography but it just seemed like kind of like a place where I could put like a a a tone of my personality but I didn't really feel like it was like a a good platform to showcase photography you know uh, it I always say this to um to people want to talk about Instagram, it's the most popular photographic platform right now and the worst photographic platform. It's, it's you know, the tiny, tiny images and they're low resolution and it really lends itself to sort of bigger, bolder kinds of photography that lack a little subtlety or, 
it doesn't allow you to really um, express your work in a, a to to really look different, to be modeled a little differently. Yeah, to, and I also yeah. feel like it's a little bit like flipping through channels on TV. Like yeah. instead of like looking for good photography, you're looking for like interesting personalities. Um, you find yourself like if you click on that, like I don't know what it is, but the magnifying glass. <laughs> if you like just one like fitness model, you got nothing oh, yeah. but big booty photos. Oh yes, that's right. And you just I don't know. It, it starts to feel, and maybe this is like the the point of the the platform, but it feels it is. a lot like TV to me now, and yeah. less about photography. But and it's but even. Even different from, well, I guess not different from streaming services, but different from television in that now it also is, like you said, keeping track of something you may have liked or clicked on or looked at. I follow uh, maybe one or two boudoir photographers, one who was on the show. And mm. so, every, you know, every time I scroll through those photographs, it's like if you go to search, it's like it's all boudoir yeah, photography. Yeah. I mean, mine is nothing <laughs> but like big booty girls and like <laughs> tattoo artists and right. like just... <laughs> Just stuff I might have liked on a periphery, but um, yeah. there's a creepy aspect to it where you know it's tracking you and the parts of you that it is tracking are the most like superficial and dumb yeah. parts. Which, and, uh, what, a, what a great platform. <laughs> it's actually reached the point where I, um, I, I let a lot of photographers do takeovers. And I clear my history and I clear my messages <laughs> before I let them take what over. Smart move. <laughs> How about you, Tom? What's on your search history and Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, it's a popular language and I agree it's not really like what um, we might be looking for, for amazing shots, high res, really to engage with work. But I, I mean, I enjoy it. I, I find myself scrolling through it more than any other social media platform when I have a couple of spare minutes, um, take a few notes on maybe images that are interesting. But yeah, I guess I don't take it too seriously myself either. Yeah. <laughs> and it is good for promoting things. It actually is very good for promoting things. Yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. a way to, it's, uh, it's like speed dating between photographers yeah, or something it it's kind yeah. of like see if you're interested in what they're up to and vice versa photography tinder yeah exactly <laughs> photo <laughs> tinder yeah. yeah that's a gonna, uh, copyright that after this <laughs> yeah. yeah but tom how did you get started in photography my mom was an amateur photographer is an amateur photographer and it's always been part of my um, like upbringing, going on trips, things like that. She was always there with the camera. It was always really annoying, but eventually kind of came around to it a bit. She gave me my first camera. And even before that, my grandfather was always videotaping things. And that's um, something maybe we'll talk about a little bit later when we get to the book. But uh, that idea of making images, I think, has been a part of my family for a long time. I studied painting, and yeah. then I moved into photography from there. It, you were in Massachusetts? Yeah, exactly. I, I started at Wesleyan University, and my last semester there, got into painting and drawing, knew I was going to take more classes at some point, and then ended up sticking around Mass Art in Boston long enough to get a second BFA and basically just kicked me out because <laughs> uh, I've been there too long. But uh -huh. it was a good spot to be because I had a studios, a community, I had a chance to do a semester abroad, things like that. And then doing a real wide search for MFA programs, I ended up going back exactly the same school, kind of ironically. Um, I'd done an undergraduate in painting and then did mass, an MFA mass in College of Art, Mass right? College of Art in yeah. photo. Were you then, but did you start your interest in photography in high school? Or I mean, I know it came through your family, but was it, it was just always there? No, I think it actually developed out of, uh, out of time and moving out of doing more kind of, you know, an academic track with college into yeah. painting and drawing, as I said, and then yeah, getting tired of being in the studio. What happened wanting... to painting? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it was great when I was in school. I, I, you know, stay up till three in the morning. There's always people there to paint with. It was a community. It was fun. And then when I got out of school and I had a studio for myself, uh, being alone became a problem, like uh, spending a lot of time painting and choosing to be in the studio instead of with friends at the beach on a Saturday. So the camera became a way initially to get out into the world and be with people and do things and still be able to make some art. That was where I started with photography. Ironically, I've kind of come back around to spending a lot of time in front of a computer again. But Yes, that, that's true. That is true. Yeah. And especially if you... We, we, we will talk about ghost guests, but especially when you're editing and working on a book now. Yeah. 
And then, Paul, I don't know how you got started. <laughs> uh, I'm still waiting to get started, actually. <laughs> you have a, a multi-track uh, portfolio. <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel like I... Uh, You're like, a writer, a, a producer, uh, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Like, I never studied photography. Like, I always had an interest in it. You know, I'd say, like, my initial, like references in high school were that I like loved Larry Clark, I loved Harmony Corrine, I loved that movie Kids. I was a super shy kid and I remember having a camera and like taking photos of my friends and like that was kind of a way for me to still be able to stay a wallflower but still engage with other people. Yes, um, yes. So that to me was like kind of what brought photography into my life but I still kind of see it more as I don't know like like a color or a shade and incorporating it into like larger ideas and bigger projects I, I don't have like that same kind of background as Tom does where I know a lot about photo theory and about photography I've never been in a dark room I don't know I just I think if you pay attention to the world in any capacity you're very aware of like how photography has changed, how the aesthetics of photography have changed, and the way that we communicate through photography has changed. And that's the thing that I'm really interested in, and less in like specific images. Mm -hmm. And I think the work that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that sort of brought you into people's consciousness was, and every day was overcast? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and then that you had a sort of kind of almost like a follow-up work, eat, pray, Drugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eat, pray, drug. Uh, yeah, it was like kind of a spinoff of uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, um, my publisher at the time asked me if I wanted to do uh, a project on consciousness, which is like pretty broad and open-ended. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time, ironically, this is kind of an interesting segue, um, started communicating with Tom, and we were talking about like possibly collaborating, and I was traveling from New York to LA, which I guess is like a, a typical migration for a, <laughs> for a guy my age. But um, when, I, when I was traveling out west, I ended up traveling down a lot of the same roads Tom had traveled down in the 90s. And he ended up passing me a lot of photos that he had taken on that trip and telling me about towns that he had been to or stayed at. So I ended up photographing some of the places that he had lived at or that he had worked at. Oh. And we started that kind of, I feel like that moment was a little bit of the seed of where like, we're like, oh, we could make an interesting project together. We didn't really know what it was, but at least for me, there that was the initial spark of, wow, this is super interesting. There's something here. Um, you know, we were talking about this writer, Borges. And oh, like, Jorge yeah. Luis Borges is yeah. fantastic writer totally. and influential on photographers in an interesting way because he's in m many ways a non-visual author. Totally. Well, there was just like a, you know, this story about a man like meeting himself on the bench, which I don't know, maybe now sounds a little bit precious, <laughs> but having Tom like experience something that I was experiencing almost like 15 years later and being able to relate it through photography, whether it was digital and Tom's old stuff was film, was, I don't know, to me, super fascinating. And that's definitely, like, my interest in photography is that. And mm -hmm. we kind of ended up snowballing from there. And um, I'm sure you've been told this before. You Clearly, there are influences from Larry Clark and maybe even Nan Golden. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are yeah. people that... I also went to college for painting. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> also in Boston. A block uh, away from each other. Really? Yeah, basically at the same time. Wow. Yeah, very a lot of weird synchronicity in general. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just remember discovering you know those two people in specific. Nan and, Golden uh, is from the Boston area, right? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, a bunch of other photographers like Miron Zwovnik, mm -hmm. who I believe is German or Russian. But anyway, I, I started getting interested in photography, but it was just something I like to consume in the same way I love reading books and watching movies. It wasn't, uh, I'm going to go this way. You may have just said it, and I'm sorry if I, I just missed it. What was the initial first meeting? In, was it, is it in L.A.? The the first meeting like together to like sit down yeah, yeah. or just first contact? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. The, when, when this... You were talking about the spark of the collaboration and all. Right. So how did well, you become aware of each other? Yeah, I, I run a website, although I'm less active with it um, these days, called Phototazo. And Paul and I had begun corresponding through that. He and I he shared some work with me, started up some conversations. 
And he eventually sent me a PDF of And Every Day Was Overcast. Oh, that's and I sat down thinking I'd read a chapter or two and read through the whole book, maybe three or four hours uh, in one sitting. And it, we, we began to talk about the idea of doing some kind of a creative interview, which became conversations that we had over Skype, these long, winding conversations that we would record and then start to pull out information from. And I think pretty quick, really, quickly we realized we had more than um, an interview in uh, terms of materials, and we started working and starting to shape it a little bit. And that was the, the basic jumping-off point for uh, Ghost Guest. The first bit of creative collaboration we did was I made a cameo appearance in Eat, Pray, Drug briefly in one of the chapters that we worked together and started sharing some photographs. And uh, it was that idea of the road trip that we took pretty much over the same route 20 years apart that started conversations about synchronicities and how our lives had kind of paralleled uh, each other. So that's that, about 2010 or? My trip was like 95. So I think and Paul's was around was two, like four, in 13 or 14. Yeah, 2014 oh, okay. or so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So when you're having the, these conversations, what was it that started syncing up that you thought maybe you had in common or could share with each other as more of a larger project or a larger idea? Well, I think the first thing that happened, which was the big overarching theme of the book, was the uh, missing Malaysian plane. Um, when that happened, I was, you know, it was like in the road trip, um, shortly after that happened, another Malaysian plane had been shot out of the sky and we were really like fascinated by the idea or I wouldn't say the idea, but just the fact that during those two moments, reality seemed to be so fluid and there was like this almost collective standstill where everybody seemed to be waiting for the shape to reset into something that we could hold on to. And the missing Malaysian plane also kind of brought up all these other bigger ideas about photography and how something so large and monitored could just be shot off the map and that we would have no idea what happened to it and all the kind of mythology and conspiracy that followed it. And that led to like a much bigger, more personal theme, uh, which is about Andrew, uh, right. Tom's cousin, who also died in a plane crash, if so, you want to. So that was five years earlier, that. right? Yeah, exactly. And so, right. Paul, and, I mean, our initial conversations that we were recording were more abstract, I think. You're talking about the ideas we have about photography and the kind of cultural moment that we're in. And when the Malaysian airplane disappeared, shortly thereafter, I told... Paul one night about the disappearance of my cousin Andrew in an airplane over Minnesota in 2009. He was a, a young pilot that had just gotten his license a few weeks previously. And um, the book started to take some shape around that event. It started to be a narrative that we could kind of hang some of our ideas around, the, the ones that we had started talking about, um, but in a, in a more personal way. Yeah. So is the text... Primarily yours, Tom? No, they're, they're, even though it comes from that narrative from my life, it's 50-50 both in terms oh, okay. of the, the text and the images. And same with the photography, right? Uh, yeah, and absolutely. Images, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was kind of, I think, what made that spark so powerful was that, A, we already had like a nice breadth of images that Tom had, that Tom's family had of Andrew, of the search parties, of everything kind of surrounding it. And that allowed us to have like more pointed conversations where I would, for example, I would interview Tom about what he was doing during that time. And then I would write it as though I were living that out and kind of including certain things from my life that happened during that same time, which was the recession. And for both of us, it was this just tremendous feeling of free fall. So that those two things huh. kind of clicked for both of us. Free fall is a great word because as I'm reading it, I feel like I'm falling, right? As I'm reading through the yeah. book, I mean, I, there's, it, it kind of sucks you in to a, a bit of darkness, right? And A lot of darkness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's almost like a, a haze of grief was like surrounding me as I was reading it. It was really interesting uh, to read. And you, Thanks. the way you weave in science and meteorology and history and other stories of tragedy and, and uh, lots of references to other flights and planes and things like that. Uh, the idea of aviation is sort of always weaved in as well. It's, it's really fascinating and uh, it really does uh, pull you in. And then the, the images, 
you know, take on this weight as well paired with the text. Yeah, I think one way that we've been talking about that relationship is that they're two chords that kind of come to a harmony, that they they come together, but they are parallel and somewhat separate. Hopefully there's a, a resonance and in some cases a direct link um, that relates to something in the text to help uh, kind of fill it out perhaps. But overall, like the, the idea that we had was more that idea of, um, of a harmony between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just also a way of kind of how do you process grief through photography? You know, I think like photography has always been like a big part of grieving, whether it's, you know, people posting photos for, you know, like when 9-11 happened and there was all this all these photos of people around the city that were missing. And then, you know, when uh, the, the missing Malaysian plane, uh, when that happened, people, there was all these stories of people texting the people aboard the plane. And then there was like conspiracies about people getting maybe potentially texts back from those uh, people that were on board the plane. And I think that also kind of started to help us like find a way to weave the photography into the text that, yeah, in some ways was like reflective of it but in other ways kind of bounced off of the text in a way that... Yeah, I, the, the connection I see in a more direct way isn't, isn't that you're illustrating the text, mm-hmm. it's that you're using the text to, to process grief, but also remember that there's just this hectic, hecticness of everyday life still happening, and the same with the imagery, Correct. right? And they work very much the same. The, there's this one juxtaposition you make... Uh, which is both funny and real and weird and bizarre of the um, the night vision imagery of the invasion of Iraq and Paris Hilton's sex tape. Yeah, <laughs> right? which happened around the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is it's all it's all of that, right? It's all the stuff we have to process all at once. Totally. And you talk about the the you know the conspiracies that also arise. That's only been magnified through Twitter and social media and other accounts, where it's added to our to the amount of stuff we have to process on a daily basis. And the amount of aesthetics you have to process mm-hmm. alongside the events, like the Paris Hilton sex tape and the bombings of Iraq. Like that was the first time that night vision was so prevalent and such like it became part of like the visual lexicon that we all like agreed that we know and we understand. Yeah. When this episode is released, uh, I will have already had an episode about grief being processed through photography. Uh, with Ryan Casey, and where she photographed national parks uh, sort of on two levels. The idea that we're losing these national parks, but also she lost a very good friend of hers who was a park ranger who introduced her to national parks, and she processes both both of those things through her, through these sort of alternative processed images. And A Reflection on 9-11 by Kai McBride, which uh, isn't on the podcast, but it is in the, the gallery that I run, uh, which are images of uh, planes flying through the sky juxtaposed against uh, images of the Empire State Building and other buildings and things like that. Mm. And what the thing I think that's coming through for me in, in these, these sort of artistic practices where we're thinking about grief and processing grief is we, uh, we may not know how traumatized we really are until we start looking at these images. I, I think the, the trauma of 9-11 is... If people feel like may have passed or is forgotten in many ways, especially among younger generations and all, but it it just takes looking at a, an image of a plane in the sky behind a building to sort of re- remind us of just how much that is part of our lives and in our psyche now. Yeah. And in our children's psyche even. Totally. Yeah, yeah I don't know if trauma is the right word, but it's mm-hmm. definitely part of our character, our national character even. Yeah, that, you know, we have these images and they're so imprinted in us. Like, like with everything, they start to take on new meaning as we grow older and they start to kind of, I think that to me is what's interesting about photography is that more and more it becomes less about the image and more about how the image affects us and how we use it to communicate. And it's a way that we still communicate our grief, our trauma, but our remembrance, you know, mm-hmm. the way like, we want to remember these things. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk more about the book. Sure. I mean, one thing I wanted to add in was that in ways I feel like the book is not a reflection on how we process grief. It is actually processing grief. Oh, okay. And not necessarily um, to do with my family or cousin, but just I think maybe for both of us and a lot of different experiences that we had in terms of relationships, jobs, uh, deaths within the family, 
in in a general way, I think uh, a lot of things that I'd been maybe desensitized to through the process of putting the book together, I feel like it helped me organize and understand a lot of that uh, part of my life. So for me, it was actually the book process, I think, that was the process of grieving. Mm. You work on it in sort of the personal level, but then you're also thinking about it as as a, this public level, right? This public yeah. level of grief. Right? Yeah. I, we'll say what you mean a little bit more by public so the, level of grief. Um, so you're, you're taking a very personal tragedy and pairing it with a, a much more public tragedy, right? And so when you're talking about that it helped you organize and, and process, uh, what do you, how do you see it as uh, out in the world serving its role as a sort of uh, way of processing grief? Well, I hope to be able for people to be able to pu- process public grief through maybe sharing a personal experience. Like my my hope would be that it would be something anyone could connect to on that level. And um, I guess just to uh, put a little bit of a personal side on it, the my relationship with Andrew was never very strong, and it's through this book that I've started to think a lot about him. But that also, I think, allowed both of us to really include two narratives from Paul's life and from my own life as well, and it allowed for a lot of space for these other ideas to come in. So um, that kind of distance from the initial event with somebody in my family that I saw very infrequently definitely played a big role in terms of uh, being able to organize a broader project, I think, and I hope that it's not trapped within that mm-hmm. uh, kind of single event of a of a family tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, like I said, I... Uh, Having having read through it, I was definitely affected by this. Like I said, this was like this feeling of of grief and processing as I was reading it. Uh, so, uh, Paul, how do you see it sort of uh, playing out in the world? I mean, that's really kind of you know up to the world. But I mean, <laughs> yes. just to obviously bring it like up to a personal level. Like you know, like my grandmother died while we were writing this, and I kind of added a lot of those details to talking about Andrew, talking about the missing Malaysian plane. And, you know, in some ways I, I, I see the book as, as Tom said, like the actual process of doing it was how I process grief. And I kind of saw it as like a prism, as a way of kind of working through those feelings. And I guess like on a really superficial level, trying to make something beautiful and relatable out of it, which I think ultimately at least for me, is really the only thing you can do with grief. You can only be sad and fucked up for so long. And not that you need to share it with somebody or you need to broadcast it out to the world for it to be valid, but if you can make it into something either aesthetically beautiful or personally beautiful or something worth sharing, it kind of takes a little bit of its power away and it takes away some of that pain. And that is what I hope, you know, in the best case scenario, yeah. people that get, they would get that out of the book. And so you've done a few book signings already, and yes. you've, right, and, and spoke about the work. And so, what kind of feedback have you received? I, you've had great reviews of the book. I've seen that. What about sort of public general feedback? I think people have generally, uh, I think, as you're saying, Michael, tapped into um, the emotional side of grieving and loss and understood it in maybe taking that within their own. Narrative. I feel like people have responded to it pretty personally, which I have appreciated, as opposed to maybe a, a, a drier critique of aesthetics or things like that. I mean, yeah. you get some comments like that, but I think you know the hope is that it's a bit of a gut punch, and mm-hmm. that people people seem to have taken it that way and, and responded to it um, directly and personally. It's also a book where uh, a project where you do need you need to pay attention to a lot of the details in a sense. I, I could. You could easily see this book and dismiss it in a certain sense as this just sort of weird collection of too many different things. Like yeah. I could I could understand that reaction. So it does it does take a bit of seriousness to actually understand this book, right? Totally. It takes, yeah. It takes some work on the the viewer's part. Yeah, I mean we definitely kind of ask a lot of the viewer and reader, but I also feel like day-to-day life is this weird collection of images (laughs) that you have to wander through and bump into and process. So, and that was kind of something that we wanted to mimic with the project was just to bring all the different aesthetics of photography that we've processed throughout our lives, you know, from film to VHS to digital to iPhone. Like, I feel like all of those things 
have their own language and they all fit into the lexicon of photography and of communication. So yeah, for sure. You know, we want yeah. people to be like, uh, to concentrate and <laughs> a little to, bit more engaged, a little bit more engaged, but, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> that's the price of our work. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to add in. I mean, there are a lot of threads in it, but it it's pretty tightly woven. I mean, it's oh, it is. a yeah, yeah. year. I'm sorry, it takes about an hour and change to get through, and it's three years of conversations that have come down to that. So it's there are very few spare words in there, very few spare parts. I think we got to a point where it's pretty pretty efficient. Um, Absolutely. In terms of talking about the the different threads that we put in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, but you you know there's a a conceptual conceit that you have to make and go along with, and that is that is the the very personal story and the very public story yeah. as being right as going hand in hand in some way. Yeah. 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 Exactly. What's next? Are you looking at shows? Are you looking at more signings and presentations? And uh, I just got back from Amsterdam myself mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, so I was in an event there looking uh, for European bookshops and talking uh-huh. with people, getting it, working on distribution there. And um, we've been basically working on that side of things for now. And as it's coming into place, we're also now starting to talk a little bit about other ways to share the work. Maybe that would mean a show. Maybe that would mean something else. But um, first step has been having a chance to do things like this, have yeah. conversations, share the work, and get word out. About yeah, it. for sure. I mean... For me, I feel like we want to get as much dialogue out around the work as possible since it's not straightforward photography. It's not like something we can publish on Instagram and people will be like, oh, wow, that's yeah. cool. I want to read that. It, it would be difficult to sort of separate the images on an it's Instagram. Just, it right, it, yeah. it would make no sense. <laughs> right. like, the images are not there to be liked and to be like <laughs> kind of rated on a one-to-one basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, outside of photography, like I would love to get it in, you know, the, the, the tech is written in prose it's kind of the way that we like boil down our you know Mm -hmm. our interviews with each other and our ideas so if we can get it to like a broader audience um it's also translated in spanish so in in the book yeah in the book it's how it's half spanish half english so i think right now it's just a matter of like i said getting it out to as many people as possible starting as many conversations around it as possible and seeing, you know, what we can do with it. Right. So the title Ghost Guest, does that come from the Gerard Manley Hopkins poem, Spring and Fall? It yep. sure does. Yeah, I, I looked that up. I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. So <laughs> It's a beautiful, heartbreaking poem. Yeah, it, it, I would say he's not a great poet, but that's a poem that hits home. That and that is. particular fragment in particular. Yeah, right, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I don't know, does it make sense to read the whole poem? Does yeah. it make sense? To- uh, I would read, like, just the, the main, like, lines associated nor mouth with had no nor mind expressed what heart heard of ghost guest perfect well so but it does end with it is margaret you mourn for and it margaret is the person the that uh, gerard is speaking to in the poem right yeah, margaret losing yeah. herself right yeah. and and you're right the so you're right of course the the book does read like a long form poem right yes yeah i think that the um that's the kind of level of prose that we were hoping for. I think our initial conversation started out pretty dry, a little more um, about, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, the culture and photography and where we're at. But over time, that definitely evolved in part because of the personal narrative, but also because of the process of passing things back and forth. We, we worked it all out with Google Documents online. It was kind of a, an interesting part of putting the book together was doing all the conversations on Skype and then... Uh, all of the editing together online. So we, I think we sat down together maybe two times for a beer during that hmm. period of time that we worked on the project. And both times it was about anything else besides the book just to have a chance to hang out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, passing the, the text back and forth, a lot of them Paul would start and then pass to me. A lot I would start and pass to Paul. But the language shifted a lot as we went through that process for sure. Yeah, and that was like a, like one of my favorite uh, artistic processes ever is like, <laughs> You know, when I was on this road trip, I was with my girlfriend, I was with my dog, and it really limited the kind of hotels that I could stay at. So we mainly stayed at places like Motel 6 that, like, allowed me to have a dog. Places that accept dogs are not always the best places. No, they're not. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I would end up sitting in the lobby 
that you know the only place that had wi-fi mm-hmm. and i would just like grab a couple beers and i would talk to tom and it was just kind of an interesting way to feel constantly dislocated and actually be in fact dislocated and see this project while we're working on it in real time from like a third person perspective hmm. um i think some of that probably carries <laughs> through but uh it was a real i don't know all in all a really fun way to pass the time and what else yeah. do you do in a motel eight at midnight? That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think that way that That's we legal. <laughs> I think the way that we built it uh, definitely shows in the final product too, in terms of that kind of dislocation and separation of time and place, and uh, looking at. We, we started turning off the video on Skype pretty quick because it gets annoying. But uh, the first yeah. couple I, conversations with Paul in those motels too. and me in South America and kind of yeah. The fact that we were working on this together definitely. Um, yeah, I find that too with Skype. If you're uh, if you're I concentrating look on looking at someone, you can't always concentrate on uh, the conversation. Worse, like, I don't mind looking at Tom, but what really bothers <laughs> me is looking at myself in that smaller oh, screen. Yeah, yeah, you keep looking down, looking oh, down, and just down, like feeling right. like I look tired. <laughs> uh, my eyes look really deep set like why did uh, i put the laptop over here yeah like how can i angle this so i'm backlit and then i look like i'm in witness protection right. and, and then i start thinking about it too much it's really a gross feeling so uh tom what i do want to get back to though is um tom you mentioned that you started to um n- not understand but uh, develop your relationship even more so through the book with andrew your cousin yeah how did what was that process like what did you was that evolving ongoing or was that something that really became clear when it was over? I think it became clear during the last part of it. Mm-hmm. I, so Andrew is a cousin. We were both from Minnesota, um, but I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis and he grew up far in the far north of the state, right on the Canadian border. Mm. And so we just had really different experiences growing up and I left for college and then kept uh, going from there. I uh, never went back to Minnesota before he was old enough for us to really establish a, a tight connection as adults. So I'd see him maybe every other year, um, Thanksgiving or something. And when he, when his plane disappeared, when I got the email about it from my mom um, and started, she started sending me links from the, from the local news about what was going on, it seemed very surreal. And it also, emotionally, it didn't have much weight at the time. It felt... I mean, both the, I mean, who expects somebody you know to disappear in a plane? So that, that, that kind of abstraction kept it from being very, a very strong emotional experience, but also it being somebody that I just, you know, despite the fact he's family, um, when I tell this story in South America, they think I'm a horrible person because <laughs> the families there are so tight. Tighter, yeah, right, that th- right. This would be a cousin of mine that I didn't have a very tight relationship right. with. And then from there, I think just going through all the family photos, going through my grandpa's videotapes, spending time talking with Paul... Um, getting Paul's questions about it, and then also Paul starting to write about him as part of his kind of consciousness and psychology around the project. So all those different uh, experiences definitely brought me towards a a better connection and and kind of something that we talk about a little bit in the book is this sense that there's always time ahead, that we're going to connect with friends and family in the ways we want to. And this, um, you know, his death prevented that, but this book is kind of a way to do that, a, a way to maybe um, build that connection in a way that I would have wanted to. Um, yeah. And, and there was literally a search for his plane that yeah. you do connect to the Malaysian flights going, Malaysian flight going down. And, and you, you do include stories about his parents and their responses and reactions and the media and all the things that kind of surround a missing plane or, you know, a crime scene. Uh, and uh, at one point, I think um, there's a conversation where his mother says, I can't wait any longer. I have to go. Uh, it's actually my yeah. mother. Oh, your mother. Okay, yeah. yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, so that's an email that I got. That's one of the first emails that yes, I got the about email. her. Yes. And so my parents were also in Minnesota, not far from where the plane disappeared. And that message, which is where, um, in the first few pages of the book, is kind of an introductory mm-hmm. um, image or text. Yeah, I mean, that was the way that I found out about it as well. Um, Paul, what were you saying about your, your grandmother as being part of the story? Um, well... God, it's such a such a longer story, but um, yeah, my grandmother died of like HIV, um, like right when we were finishing the project, or not when we were finishing it. I'd say like I don't know, like when we were a third of the way done, and it just, you know, it's it's a fucking long story. But basically, my uh, 
step-grandfather was this Ukrainian lounge singer, uh, and he used to sing in Brighton Beach here in New York. And in the late 80s, he had contracted HIV. Most likely assume, you know, he was on the DL somehow and contracted it to my grandmother. He died around 91. And um, Mm. it's just been this kind of event that has always kind of uh, stuck with me and kind of in a weird way or very literal way influenced a lot of how I think about things and with this it kind of just left this like lingering sense of grief that carried out throughout my life. And then like when my grandmother died, it was kind of like there was some sort of chapter on it and like all the kind of trauma and confusion and just weirdness with my family. Um, was there also this shame with it? Or um, I don't know. I mean, I guess there was shame. I never really felt ashamed or shameful about it no not you but but i mean within the family i mean when you know there was so much just i think the pain overpowered the shame Mm. you know what i mean at least for me like in the early 90s i was so young so i just kind of associated aids with youth and with love and sex and that was kind of where my head was at and that kind of stayed with me until like my early 20s where i was able to kind of parsed that out and, you know, medications came about and, you know, actually there was a lot of art that also kind of dealt with that, that helped me see it. And obviously I think it was something that was more, I guess, like it belonged more to like the gay community, but it was, it was something that I don't know, like I took comfort in reading about that kind of stuff and looking at photos of it. But anyway, so when when she, when she finally died, um, and we were working on the project, I definitely tried to like pour in as much as many of my feelings of grief, and I don't know, like I feel like because she had been sick for so long, I had sat with those feelings for a really long time, um, and they never changed. Mm. So when it finally happened, there was this opportunity for me to kind of you know, do something with it and find some sort of closure without looking for it. Um, So I guess like in the most literal sense, yeah, this book was a way for both of us to actually process grief and find closure. Yeah, I think the idea that we both had loss within that uh, period of time, I I mean, both my grandparents died very uh, close to beginning the project as well, just beforehand. And both of us being in that space of loss, which then gets transformed maybe into grief within doing the project, also allowed us, I think, to uh, connect well in terms of uh, headspace and where we were at working on the working on the text. Totally, and I don't think either of us are. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm speaking for myself here, but I, <laughs> I'm not somebody that really benefits from like talking about it with like a shrink or something. In some ways, when I do that, it just kind of winds me up and like I get more upset and more like kind of buried within myself. Have you tried that? Yeah, I have. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, and I am not, I'm not dissing oh, that no, no, at I all. Oh, no, no, I'm just like, curious. Yeah, yeah. I have tried and like I get its importance and why it's important for people and how it does work, but actually making something out of it that to me was poetic and collaborative was more meaningful than anything I could have told to a shrink. Mm-hmm. We we spoke a little bit about Paul your early work, but we Tom we never mentioned any of uh, any of the work that you did previously. Uh, you have two on your site, I, I think, Herida uh, y Fuente and uh, Foto Tasso. Herida right? y Fuente is yeah, it's a project that um, was published in 2017, and it's you know if if. Ghost guest, you know, to put it in word, in a word, if it's either, you know, let's say loss, then Edide Fuente is love. And it's about um, a rela- the relationship that I have with my wife, Anna, that we talked about at the beginning of the, the conversation. And when we met, she was a grad school, a grad student, and uh, I was in Boston doing the same thing. Maybe I should say not when we met, but when we started dating. Mm. And so we had this distance, and it brought a lot of questions about fidelity, longing, happiness, timing. And the book is a very different project. It's all image, and it's um, much more of a kind of cohesive, aesthetic right. idea. A little more traditional, uh, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've always kind of, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I feel, for myself at least, that every project will probably end up in a different destination like that, just kind of based on the the questions and the curiosities that the project starts with. I don't feel like I'll ever be a person that sticks with the same mm-hmm. format camera and the same approach to making art. And it's not that 
uh, I'm just not that kind of a person. Yeah. And so are you all, uh, are you both thinking about um, future collaborations? Uh, potentially, you know, like we, I feel like we're, we're like literally just finished this project not too long ago, but yeah. I do have to say in doing this project and collaborating with Tom, it's really kind of made me reassess my own writing process, my own photography, and just the idea of moving forward. How do I want to continue to keep writing? Like, I really enjoyed working with Tom, and I really enjoyed the um, the idea that it wasn't this solitary, weird thing that I do by myself after work when I have time or when I'm on my phone on the train. Like, it was good to, like, talk these ideas through and then, like, have Tom's input and have these ideas kind of blossom into something totally unexpected that we could both run with that felt new and engaging to both of us. So, yeah. <laughs> if I could chase that dragon for the rest of my life, I will. Yeah, I mean, I also, you know, we've collaborated on all of the creation of this book, and now we're kind of in a different type of collaboration, which is working on the, the distribution and getting word out there and talking with people. And so we're still collaborating in a different way, even this conversation. You know, I'm kind of learning a few things or, you know, um, continue to um, get things out of talking with Paul and kind of listening to his way of thinking about photography in the world. I like keeping Tom on his toes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now would be a good time to tell Tom that you took the cold water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, there were two uh, two waters on a table. One was uh, cold, one was not, and uh, you were running late, so I took the cold one. <laughs> That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Finish. If it makes punishment. you feel any better, I really wrestled with it. I was going to take the warm one to be a gentleman, and I was like, eh. <laughs> Tom's seething, by the way, for those who can't see it. So you can't tell. But <laughs> yeah, he's right. gritting his teeth at me right now. I was going to pitch all these future collaborations. Not anymore. That's right. Yeah, he's, he's, done. he's tearing That's up paper now crossing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off a few things that were yeah. on my list <laughs> I mean it, it, is it fair to say that the two of you had a sort of very different origin stories very different upbringings in terms of your lives I mean I think our origin stories are very different what's what's kind of ironic is like the way our lives eventually did converge are so intensely similar like we've lived in so many of the same places and had the same interests you know, uh, Tom lives in Medellin, Colombia, which is a city that I had been to during the recession and I loved and I always wanted to come back to and which is actually how I reached out to him initially is that I wanted to get, you know, I noticed he had the, you know, his photos, photo Tazo. Yeah, actually, I was going to, oh, in yeah, parentheses, that's right. just say uh, right. it is on my site, but it's... Um, the link is to a different site that I run that is about photography. So it's not my own oh, personal okay. work or project. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah. I reached out to Tom, you know, not knowing who he was, but just being like, oh, I want to definitely connect with somebody in Colombia. So I will have some sort of reason and purpose to go back there. <laughs> um, so in this way, yeah, it, does, it really kind of closed the loop. And I'm really happy that, you know, our publisher is from there and it's published in Spanish. So... Hopefully, you know, we can engage with that audience mm -hmm. and I can have like, you know, a reason yeah. to come back to a place <laughs> I really kind of fell in love with a long time ago. What, yeah. what was, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to add on there that, you know, it agreed we definitely have very different origin stories, but, and I, that was part of the richness of the collaboration for me that Paul was always sending me these books and links and articles and movies and things that were really out of my world and... But I could talk with him and talk with somebody that I think has a very similar way of understanding the world. So it's it a nice combination of really expanding the stuff that I look at, expanding the types of things that I think about, but being able to do that with somebody that I can relate to and that uh, over time we kind of discovered have a lot of similarities in terms of the way we do things, think about things. And uh, I think that's pretty evident in the book. I, I would have no idea, except for your connection to Andrew, who wrote what, who's, who that, put in what. Yeah, that's yeah, really, good to hear. That's kind yeah, of cool. Yeah. It's definitely, I feel like, now that it's all said and done, like a really perfect collaborative experience, like something that we both put equal amount of effort into and like came away with something that's like personal to both of us, but unique to each of us as each of us as well yeah, and paul also just to throw it in there is i mean in his first book that if you if anyone out there is familiar with it and i'm sure a lot of people are i mean it's about uh youth in florida and this kind of um 
this really edgy upbringing, a lot of experience with sex and drugs and this kind of craziness of swampland, uh, Florida, where very, I grew it's up. very Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in suburban Minneapolis, right. like, you know, pretty straight, straight uh, you know, at least through high school in terms of my, uh, my life. And uh, I think the idea of working with somebody that had such a different upbringing perspective, but that we could, you know, talk about ideas that we care about together was, was pretty fantastic and something that definitely kept me hanging in there for uh for you know the three years that we worked together on this yeah and you were talking about uh, and every day was overcast mm-hmm. that's that's specifically florida yeah yeah, yeah i yeah, grew yeah, up yeah, in yeah. south florida yeah like nan golden like larry clark were you part of the culture you were photographing yeah i was i mean you know the uh, i wasn't i don't know if i could call it so much like a specific culture but it was definitely specific to like my teenage years and you know, I think Florida, or at least South Florida, definitely has its own uh, reputation and culture, I guess you could say, um, that seems really, I guess, kind of prevalent and, and through and through. Whenever you meet people from South Florida, at least when I meet people from South Florida, I'm like, got you. I know where you're from. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I grew up in North Florida. I'm kidding. Which <laughs> no. city? Oh, you would. You only hear about it when there's a serial killer or Same a rapist here. on the loose. I'm from Massahachie, Florida. So. <laughs> Deltona. Oh, I know Deltona. Yeah, my yeah. parents live in Palm Coast now. Oh, yeah, so it's real close. You're where the Crystal Springs are. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's yeah, one of my yeah. happiest childhood memories. Yeah, taking mushrooms and going on a <laughs> on the tubing ride. Yes, where you can exactly. go tubing through the Crystal Springs. The springs. I remember tubing through the Springs. The fact yeah. that that's his childhood memory is the reason why I wanted to work with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 yep. Oh I my god. I knew there was something weird with you. That's right. <laughs> was something else. I, I knew I was going to ferret out of you at some point. <laughs> there it is. Nice. So, um, in terms of then individually, uh, were there simultaneous things going on, things you're working on as well? I mean, I wasn't working on much. I actually abandoned a project that I'm thinking I'll take back up soon uh, that has to do with photographing Medellin. But then when I met Paul and we started working together, I kind of couldn't keep both things going. Sure. It was just too intense uh, the way we were, we were working on things. And now that we've finished, at least with the creative side of things, I mean, my creative energies have gone back a little bit towards that project and an- another image text idea I have with my dad or working with my uh, it's a, it would be about my dad and kind of working a little bit with him as well, I guess. But to go back with the idea of collaboration too, I mean, it's a very intense process. Maybe there's a, a breath, but uh, a little chance to focus on other things. Paul's also sent me some writing that he's been working on. And then, you know, if, if we're in a good situation to do it again, then we go back uh, to a formula that I think we both really enjoyed. Yeah, totally. Uh- Paul, is, is writing your primary love, your first love? I would say reading is my first okay. love, but um, I definitely, yeah, I guess I enjoy writing and I kind of... Did you go to school for it? or? Uh, no, I didn't. I went to oh. school. I got a BFA. Um, I went to Museum School of Fine Arts in Tufts, and I just kind of took a little bit of everything. I think I, by the end of it, I was doing video editing and taking like elective classes on forensic science. I feel like mm. I never got like a straight ahead education. I only took three writing classes, but um, it is like one of aside from radio and podcasting, it's the medium that I love the most. And it's kind of for me, like the base for anything else that I do. I mean, even if I were, I mean, I haven't painted since I was like, you know, in my early twenties, mm-hmm. but I think if I did, I would have to start with like creating a mood board and writing first. It's kind of like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's I, part, part of any practice that you totally. Have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and then in terms of uh, things you've been working on by yourself? Uh, You know, honestly, like I had like a couple things going on. And then once me and, you know, Tom and I like picked up steam with Ghost Guest, I abandoned a lot of that and put all my effort into that project and really putting the rest of my effort into like work, you know, kind of (laughs) financially getting myself afloat, Uh you know, the recession and the feelings of free fall that we were talking about really yeah. kind of hit me hard and lasted for a long time. So I feel like I'm just now in the process of kind of like getting up on my own two feet. Are you doing like, a lot of freelance or? No, no, I work, uh, I merchandise editorial photography. So I work basically in the news. Oh. So yeah, just kind of finding like a, a profession that in some way is parallel to photography. I would like to 
do something soon. And are, you, are you editing? Are you? No, no. I'm like literally like selling and like merchandising. So all like front facing parts of this company. Say that again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, so it's merchandising, editorial photography. So it's like all front facing parts of the of the company. So all the ways that they use photography in PR oh, okay. and social media mm-hmm. and like on the websites and like all the ways that they kind of represent themselves with photography. Oh, okay. Yeah. So did I miss anything about the book that you wanted to talk about? Buy it. <laughs> How would they buy it? You can go to ghostguest.com and buy it from there. Or you can buy it from Amazon. Yeah, it'd be better to buy it through the site just because uh, Amazon takes a pretty surprising cut once uh-huh. you're on the back end of it and right. seeing how all that works. So. That's even if you sort of host it on your own sort of as a, your own store, right? They exactly. still take a, a yeah. chunk, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you both for coming in and uh and yeah and especially uh tom for coming all the way in <laughs> thank you for uh, having us yeah this thanks for like... having us and thanks for great questions good conversation yeah, oh thanks this was really awesome oh thank you very much all right bye everyone bye, bye. bye.